0: Welcome to Murder in the Black with Steph and MB. Welcome back to Murder in the Black. It is your host Steph. As always, I'm honored to be back with you guys. We have a lot of announcements after like weeks of having none. We have a lot, but I want to honor your time. So I will save the bulk of our announcements until the end of the episode. But very quickly, today is a bonus episode and it is Black History Month. So we have a lot of bonus content for you guys. So if you're an OG listener, you know that simply means... That we have an episode like today where it only features myself And then we'll have episodes where it features MD And of course we're still a dynamic duo We're never breaking up No Destiny's Child stuff over here girl So we want you guys to continue to listen We hope that the bonus content makes you feel good And gives you a chance to interact with us individually So let's get into our crime case for today I've entitled today's episode, Manipulation Leads to Death. Our episode takes place in San Diego, California, 1992. We catch up with Joy, and she's a teenager. She's an outgoing teen. She is fun-loving. She's a free spirit. But more importantly, she's the epitome of her name, Joy. She brings it to everything and everyone that she interacts with. But I think the most quirky comparison that I heard about Joy's personality was that she had a Velcro personality and that she just pulled you in. And I loved this comparison and it probably will stick with me forever now. Like I'll like draw comparisons to this all the time when I talk about people people's personalities because it instantly provided me with an image of me being like six years old, putting on a sweater and then for whatever reason, getting attached to some Velcro and just having the hardest time taking that Velcro off of my sweater. Because, you know, Velcro just sticks to you. It pulls you in regardless if you want to be or not. And that is exactly how infectious Joy's personality was. And that also translated When she was a child as well. She was a very happy child. However, her parents got a divorce when she was young. And this impacted Joy's life. You know, they don't really say why her father chose not to be in her life. Whether it was because of a contentious relationship with Joy's mother after the divorce. Or he just went ghost. Either way, he made it extremely difficult for his child Um, Joy lamented that she just missed the interactions with her father, and she missed his overall presence in her life. Now, being a mother, I'm a mother, and a lot of you listening are mothers. Joy's mother wanted to do all that she could to compensate for that loss. So she made sure that she gave her daughter special attention, and as a result of that attention and that intentional time with joy, they built and solidified a bond that would translate throughout their lives. They were extraordinarily close. I would say that Joy, in my humble opinion, was a little bit different than most teens. Because at the age of 15, she went to her mom and told her, Mom, I want to join the church. And she was seeking a couple of key components in order to join a church. She wanted to make sure that she was able to get the community that most churches provide. But more importantly, she wanted a spiritual home, and she also just desired to have a spiritual mentor. Now, a spiritual mentor is basically self-explanatory, right? But I think there's another popular phrase that people use nowadays that I've heard, and they don't say spiritual mentor, they say spiritual father. Now, walk with me. A spiritual father is not necessarily It's for everyone. It's not necessarily just for someone who hasn't had a father in their life. Like you could have a father, but you could also have a spiritual father. And a spiritual father is someone who is usually in leadership in the church and they essentially disciple you. Right. They walk with you on your journey and they help you in garnering a really deep and personal connection to Um, God as you develop your personal relationship so that was very important to Joy at just 15 years old okay so she was able to join the local church her and her mother and that's when she meets 26 year old Sean Goff he was the youth minister at the church that she joined but Sean was well known throughout the community and in the San Diego area He actually was the master of ceremonies for a popular televangelist in the San Diego area named Morris Sula. So essentially what Sean would do is he would go or, you know, go and be on this television program. But he would be the person who would announce things, announce the host, you know, tell you things at the end of the program. And he was able to receive a lot of attention. Now, Sean's career was taking off. He was a youth pastor, also doing the emceeing for Morris Sula. And so his career in the ministry was pretty much taking off. Now, for just a brief moment, I want everyone, girls and guys, to just, or women and men, girls and guys, all the same thing. I want you guys to just go back in time with me to when you were about 15 to 17 years old. And you had a schoolboy, schoolgirl crush on that one teacher or that one coach who just got out of college. I know y'all know, I know y'all have been there, because I was there. And at 17, I had a coach that I really liked. He had to be about 23 years old. He was new freshly out of college cute guy. And, you know, I just had a schoolgirl crush on him. I would, you know, smile at him a little bit more, you know, you know, just do a little extra, but it never went past that. And for Joy, she had these same school crush feelings on her youth pastor. Right. And it never went past that. At least she never told him directly, Hey, I have a crush on you. You know, it never went past that. It was very innocent. And I also think that anytime that, you know, you have somebody who's really into something that you're pursuing, that's, all, that's also attractive, right? Like, just regardless of power dynamic, that can still be attractive, right? So it was this schoolgirl school crush she had on her youth pastor, Sean. But then Sean, as time goes on, Sean takes an extra interest in her. Like, you know, when she goes to youth activities... He is staying behind and talking to her and making sure that she understands everything, asking her if she needs extra help. He wanted to make sure that he made her feel special. So that mentorship, that spiritual father, that spiritual mentor that she so desired, that was essential to her joining this church. Now she was getting it. She was getting that attention and it was, it was, it felt good, right? And Then he starts, Sean starts to encourage her to come over to his home and meet his wife, which his wife was a homemaker and they had a young son. And so what she would do is she would go over and they would actually have Bible studies all together. Sean, his wife, and, you know, their son would be there. And then on occasions, she would be the babysitter for them when they would go out on date nights. And she maintain this schoolgirl schoolgirl crush but really it was starting to blossom into like a second family for her because that family that dynamic that she desired that she wanted that family unit that she really wanted when she was growing up with her mom and dad it didn't exist But now, as a teenager, she was seeing what it could have been. And she was now a part of their family. You know, she was doing Bible studies with them. She was taking care of their son. It was all in the family. And also, her mother approved of this mentorship. Her mother was totally fine with it. She totally felt like everything was A-OK. Joy becomes older, right? She started off at this church at 15, and she's getting older. And although she really does look at Sean and his family as a second family, that crush really never wavered. It always was maintained. And in 1996, Joy graduates from high school. And this is when Sean tells Joy... That he has developed romantic feelings towards her. She, you know, affirms that she also feels the same way. But, you know, how could this even possibly work? He was married. She actually loved his wife and liked her and was involved in his child's life. You know, and it went against their beliefs to have an affair. I think that it's very interesting that Sean decided to wait to tell her in 1996 after she graduates that he has romantic feelings for her. That wasn't a coincidence because I don't even believe in those. That definitely was intentional. And he most definitely groomed Joy. I know y'all agree. He groomed her from the beginning. And he chose the right time, quote, end quote, to reveal his feelings about her, right? So, Joy graduates, and he's starting to make more and more advances, even though by this time he's told her, you know, I like you, I have romantic feelings for you. She's affirmed her romantic feelings for him, but it's just kind of like, well, what can we do with that? We know we can't do nothing with it, right? Or can we? So... What ends up happening is he starts to initiate more romantic feelings, starts to, you know, flirt just a little bit more. And that's when he tells Joy, Joy, I want you to join our family. And she's like, what What? What are you talking about? And he says, I want to marry you. I literally want you to become my second wife, live in our home. And so she just has so many questions like, Number one, sir, like our Christian beliefs don't even affirm this type of lifestyle. And what are we going to do with that? Number two, you're married to someone else. Does she even get down with this? Right. So he starts to answer her question. He says, well, look, listen, at eight years old, God came and told me, you know, whenever people start talking like that, I'm very leery. I'm very leery, my ears perk up and I'm skeptical. And he said, When he was eight years old, God came and told him that he was supposed to have more than one wife. Now, why he was not affiliated with people like Mormons, because Mormonism um, affirms and allows for people to participate in polygamy, he wasn't affiliated with them, he just felt like God told him this, and so, although he doesn't agree with the Mormons on anything else, he does believe that he should be allowed special privileges to have more than one wife, right? He also tells her, hey, my wife is cool with it. Like, you're good, okay? She's all right. She loves you. She's cool with you becoming a second wife. You're good, okay? (laughs) Okay? So Joy is now going from this being such an unimaginable situation to slowly being okay with it, right? Because you have to keep in mind he was not only her youth pastor, he was her spiritual advisor that like she really looked up to him. So if if he's saying the guy came and told him at 8 years old it's okay. You know he's he's manipulating her because she trusts him just emphatically without even thinking. But not only that, now his wife is on board, and she loves his wife already. She's already built such a good rapport with his wife. It's like, well, if she's okay, well, maybe I can be okay. But what she finds out is that he actually met his wife Sheila. As her youth pastor. So he has been using this power dynamic. Right. And grooming young women. And eventually asking them to be his wife. I mean. Okay. I'm not going to do it. But but you, you guys just know. I want to say something right here. But I'm not. I'm going to keep going. So obviously there's there's. Routine here, but Joy is young, Joy is naive, and Joy is not aware of the heavy manipulation that is taking place. So, although Joy was resistant, now he has persuaded her, he has manipulated her, he has done all types of tricks and flips, and now polygamy just doesn't seem like the worst thing in the world because, after all, she loves him she loves sean she has known sean since she was 15 now she's 18 and and just it just it seemed right so now that his wife is okay with it she decides that she will marry him and so she shares the news with her mother and her friends uh, just a few friends right because you can't tell all your friends that they're gonna be looking at you crazy so she told just a few close friends and joy's mother was against it Joy's mother did not want her to marry Shine, but she realized that if she didn't accept this, if she didn't go along with it, she possibly could lose her daughter and not talk to her daughter, you know, and so instead of sacrificing the relationship because she didn't agree with her decision, she decided to just go along with it. So at 19, she marries Sean, who was 30 years old on a private beach. In a spiritual marriage, right? Because, you know, polygamy is not allowed here in the, in these United States. It is against the law. But they got married in a spiritual marriage. And summer of 1997, she moves in with the family. And I know you're probably saying to yourself, what? What? Like, how is this all going on? And they're attending this church, right? Not only that, they're living... They live in this neighborhood where people are, you know... You know, people are nosy. And I'm that nosy neighbor. Like, so (laughs) they looking. And just... I didn't even mention this yet. But you guys need to know that Sean and Sheila were white. And the only reason why I feel like that is super relevant to this story is because... Joy is black. And who is this black girl who's at, you know, Sheila and Sean's house all the time. Going in and out the residence. You know, like... You, you, this is gonna bring attention, right, to the family dynamic. It's gonna bring attention to even the, the church dynamic that it exists at their church that they attend. People are gonna have questions, but they were able to kind of like easily just say that she was the nanny, you know, because Joy had been over their house for so many years, going in and out, taking care of the baby, actually babysitting their son. That it was just easy for them to say, well, Joy is just our, she's just our nanny. This is our nanny. So they were able to keep up the appearances that were extremely important to everybody. Like everybody needed to keep up the appearance. Joy was okay with being known as the nanny. And they were able to move forward in this, you know, in this craziness as far as I'm concerned. So Joy is the young and hip wife. You know what I'm saying? Like she has now moved into what Sheila probably was at one point for Sean, but no longer is. You know, you know. Once you've been with somebody for a little while, you know, you get older, right? Uh, people get used to the things that you do and the clothes that you wear. But now he had a beautiful black queen on his arm you know and she was hip and she was fun and Sheila was having problems like really adjusting to the new family dynamic as you can imagine right and initially where Sheila and Joy got along they now they they no longer were getting along right because it's easy to get along with somebody who were who was transient who comes in your house visits for a couple of hours takes care of your baby and then they go about their business that was not the case anymore she was around all the time But not only did they have to get used to that, but now Joy has to get used to who Sean really is outside of this persona that she has seen throughout the years, just solely at church. Or even the home dynamic is not necessarily who he really was. And Sean was, he had a lot of misogynistic beliefs, as you can imagine. Like that kind of goes hand in hand with polygamy. I mean, I'm just saying, just saying. Um, he misused scripture to manipulate his wives and to, you know, make them believe that they had to do certain things because of what the quote, end quote, scriptures say. He would manip- manipulate them to his liking and to his ideas that he wanted to make sure were in line, right, with what he believed. Now, initially, What attracts most women to polygamy? I know a lot of people feel like, well, why would you even want to be in a polygamous relationship? Why is that attractive to anyone? (laughs) Why is that attractive to anyone? Well, what I hear and what I research and then I also watch um, or used to watch the show Sister Wives, which is a reality show. And what a lot of those women say is they say, well, you know, it's just the ability to have the shared responsibilities, like I don't have to just be responsible for chores, laundry, um, cooking, you know, all the household chores is not all falling upon me. Now I have a sister, a best friend <laughs> to share these said chores with and we can now get everything accomplished and I won't be so stressed out. I won't be so burdened um, because I have a sister wife to help me with these responsibilities and also i'm able to cultivate a relationship with her and really have a best friend out of the relationship and y'all i watched sister wives and let's just say cody doesn't have a whole bunch of sister wives no more because them women caught hip to the manipulation that is in polygamy and they left OK, so that is a side note, but a relevant side note. OK, and this is what was initially very attractive for Sheila. OK, Sheila felt like now I can have somebody help me share the responsibilities and the all the things that I do in this, you know, relationship. I now can share them with someone else. So the relationship is very kind of it's an easy, shaky to say the very least, at first, initially. But they start to get a rhythm, you know, and Sean is very controlling. And he controlled everything from finances, allowances, just everything. The sex, the sleeping schedule between the both women, And it just got kind of crazy because whether they liked it or not, and as much as they tried to keep up the appearances at church and in the neighborhood, people started to suspect and rumors, as they often do, started to fly. And a lot of people at the church felt like he was a polygamist and the relationship was inappropriate. It wasn't what they were trying to say it was. So he ended up resigning from that television. evangelist job I spoke of before and everybody in the community slowly started to disown him so he just said you know what I'm just gonna abandon my 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 youth pastor job as well because I don't agree with modern churches and so what does he do he creates his own church and he starts the church of Christian Polygamist. He starts to link with other people underground who share a lot of the same beliefs. He starts a website and he just becomes the leader of that group. Okay. So he's the pastor of the group, he's the leader. He says whatever he says goes. Okay. Now the relationship starts to, although they start to like kind of get a rhythm. The relationship is just uneasy between everybody, okay? Between Joy and Sheila, and between Joy and Shine and Shine and Sheila. It's it's a mess, child. It's a lot to keep up with. And when Joy is 21, she actually finds out that she's pregnant with her first child. So... You know, she's excited because now, you know, she's really a part of this family. Like her position in the family is solidified. But he, Sean, is still very involved in this church of Christian polygamists. So he arranges in-person meetings with people on this forum that he has. And others are he's very charming. And so people are very impressed by him and what he had to say and some of the ideas that um, he was presenting at these in-person meetings. And this just ultimately fed his ego. And it contributed to the fact that he felt like, I need to be in control. I need to have control. So in June of 2000, they had a baby boy and they named him Stone. And that same year, Joy's mom passed away soon after she gave birth to to her first son so the only person that joy had like truly had on the outside of this relationship was now gone and I think that just even more like contributed to her diving deeper into her relationship with Sean and Sheila because now they were the only things that she just really had And in summer of 2002, she gives birth to her second son named Onyx, and Sheila decides she wants to go back to work because right now, you know, Sean is not contributing to the household finances. He doesn't want Joy to have a job. Joy actually wants a job, but he does not want Joy to have a job because that's further manipulation that's a further need for her to depend on him. But Sheila has had it. She's like, listen, somebody in here got to make some money. So she goes back to work. Now, Sheila becomes, not not Sheila, but Joy becomes the stay-at-home mom that Sheila once was. But that just, you know, even at 21, like, Being a stay-at-home mom is hard work, and it's a whole nother level of hard work, in my opinion, and kudos to all women, because the truth of the matter is, is whether you are a stay-at-home mom or a working mother, you still come home and work after you get off your job. It's just all work, okay? But a lot of people think being a stay-at-home mother is appealing because it's like, oh, you don't have to get up and clock into a job, but the fact of the matter is you're never off the clock. Like You're always with your kids. You're always trying to find something for them to do. And I can say that confidently because I'm a stay-at-home mother. It's not this easy cakewalk that people try to present it to be. Now, there are some perks to being a stay-at-home mom. But even at the age of 21, she was just like, I don't want to do this. Because she was young. She had other goals. She wanted a career. But as I said, Sean was controlling. He did not want her to work. And he felt that her role was at home with the children. And this is where that whole, you know, misogynistic, you know, personality really shows itself. Because he wants to control her. And his way of controlling her is saying, no, you can't get a job. You know? So she goes ahead and she's just like, okay, I'll stay at home with the children. She just acquiesces. Now, he was emotionally abusive to Sheila. He was super critical about her weight. And they both, like, instead of bickering with each other, you know, because I really think he, when Joy entered in the household, she was the shiny new thing. And he was able to control their dynamic through that power play. But as time went on and things started to come out about Sean and his personality, Sheila and Joy started to say, girl, why are we fighting with each other? Like, it's really this dude that we with. You know what I'm saying? They they smartened up. They wised up. And I just have to say that there is, I've said this in a previous episode. uh, It was about our... um, The name of the episode was about a girl named Shannon. But there is a difference between emotional and physical abuse. But the highlight is it is all abuse, period. And emotional abuse should not be minimized uh, because somebody is not hitting you with their hands. It is still abuse. And Sean was very emotionally abusive to Sheila so they wised up and said you know what Uh uh-uh we're not gonna have we're not gonna have this and so they you know they started to be contentious with Sean but Sean said okay you know what I feel like God is calling me to a third wife so he goes ahead he gets a third wife yep mm -hmm, and he finds this here third wife on one of his forums she was 23 And he went ahead and, like, expedited the process of her moving in quickly. Like, there was no getting-to-know phase like it was with Joy. It was like, I need a third wife. Here she is, right? And that was another power play, right? But it just so happened that the third wife, Becky, had a lot of emotional problems. And she just wasn't stable. He said that she had demons. And he would try to do, like, exorcisms on her. But eventually, like, she left because she mentally wasn't okay, and she was causing way too many issues. Now, Joy's 25 years old. She has two children, and she has some life experiences. She's gained enough confidence to push back against Sean. So she enrolls in college she starts classes, she started to, you know, get more friends and befriend people, because she had abandoned a lot of her relationships when she entered into this spiritual marriage with Shine. But what does Shine do in true form? He starts to become very jealous, accuses her of cheating, you know, uh, you know, just tries to control her schedule, tries to control her time. And in the summer of 2003, she announced that she was leaving. Like, she, she was like, I've had it up to here. You know, he then threatens to take the kids. So, you know, she she stays. And, you know, they kind of have that, that dynamic. Like, she wants to leave. But he just is doing a lot of things that would make it extremely difficult for her to leave. So, she just stays. She stays out of... Feeling like she doesn't have any other choice. Now, Sean is trying to really win Joy back, and so he decides to take her to dinner because up until this point, Joy has just really been tolerating him for the sake of her children and just trying to figure out how can she get away <laughs> and um, not have to deal with his consequences. So she goes ahead and you know acquiesces to the dinner. He takes her out, and he actually, Sean actually calls Sheila up, and he tells her because she had went out out of town for something, and he tells her that she that he and Joy got into an argument after they went to dinner, and Joy left him and the children, but nobody hears from Joy after that interaction like she doesn't show back up and friends are hoping that she's okay because it just doesn't seem like joy to leave her kids right like joy absolutely loved her boys and she wouldn't leave them i mean she wouldn't even leave sean because of her kids so time goes by with no word from joy and they start to doubt this story that sean is telling People that she just left him and left the kids and peaced out. So weeks go by and they actually get an email from Joy. And Joy says that she's just been trying to find herself. And she sounded angry in the email when people would respond back to her. And they would, you know, say, are you okay? Where exactly are you? And it just, her responses were angry and it was not her personality at all. So eventually, Joy just goes cold. She just stops responding to people via email. So the so friends are like, "This isn't right. We're going to go ahead and call the police and file a missing persons report." So they do, and so police go and talk to Sheila and Shine. And they say they don't know, you know, she left voluntarily. Sheila says, "Hey, listen, I was out of town, just to be clear, but according to my husband, you know, she left voluntarily." So they start to search the house to find clues. They go to Joy's room, which was completely empty. And Sean said he got rid of all of her belongings because he was angry that she left, that she left him and that she left the boys. But they believe that foul play is at work and that more than likely they may be looking at a homicide. But they just did not have enough evidence against To corroborate that, right? So, they're trying to figure out what is going on. So, Sean actually voluntarily comes down to the police station one month later. Because the case has gone cold. They can't find any evidence of where Joy is. And after one month, after her disappearance, he comes in and he admits that he killed Joy. But he didn't murder her. That's what he said. You know... I think when you are, I think it's important to note what words he used, right? Because I think when you come in and tell the cops, I killed this person versus, you know, I murdered this person. I think you're trying to use semantics in your favor so that you're able to explain exactly what happened. Okay, so he tells police this, but he immediately ends the interview after saying this. Like, he provides no explanation around the death of Joy. He just says, you know, I killed her, but I did murder her. Now I need my lawyer. What? Okay, so the police were, like, stumped. Now, the community is in absolute disbelief. The man of God that they thought Sean was, now they're meeting the real him. The serpent has came out to play. And they couldn't believe that he was capable of such a violent act. Now, I have to quickly talk about why we as society take this moral high ground for pastors, preachers, teachers. I mean, just people who are of notoriety in our community who carry this title. Right. I just think it's I don't think it's fair that we give them all of that power. We have to know that these people, clergymen, pastors, political figures, they are all mere men. And as I like to quote a lot of people who say to me, they're just the man they put one pants leg on just like I do. And I do think they should be held to a standard. But I would not allow that standard to blur my vision that at the end of the day, they still make mistakes and that does not excuse their behavior. But it does not put them on this high pedestal that I feel like they can never, you know, do something crazy like this. So because the police don't have a body, they go ahead and give him the lesser charge of obstruction of justice because they can't necessarily provide her body, right? So they put him in jail for obstruction of justice. And then they go back and, with the permission of Sheila, search the home again for a second time. That's when they find, they, you know, do a luminol test, and they find traces of blood on Joy's bedroom wall. Sheila confesses that she did get a call from Sean. She said that he told her that there would be blood throughout the house, and Joy got hurt, but everything was okay. right. Joy was okay. He then instruct instructed her to clean up the blood and she does so, but claims she didn't think anything was wrong. Like she just did what her husband told her to do and went about her business. She didn't think that anything happened to Joy or that it was worth even mentioning to the police when they first came to their house to search for the first time. Now, in October of 2003, the police still didn't have a body, a murder weapon, or a motive. And they just weren't confident in the case. However, in January of 2004, they made a discovery. 300 miles away from the family home, hikers discovered a large pile of stones on like what seemed to be like an unmarked grave. Once they looked bel- You know, under these large stones, they found a dismembered body. The fingertips were cut off. The teeth were taken out. um, Her face was bashed. And they had to extract DNA from her bones and input that DNA into a database. And that is how they were able to confirm that it was Joy. Of course, her friends were stunned and shocked. And so a lot of people wondered, was Sheila an accomplice? But she wasn't. They really believed that she was just a casualty of Sean's manipulation. She did exactly what she was told. She was brainwashed into believing whatever he told her. And she was ruled out as an accomplice. On his computer, they actually found the emails that he was writing to Joy's friends. So it turns out Joy was not sending those emails. So her friends suspected correctly that that just wasn't her, didn't sound like her. And in June 2006, her trial began. Um, The prosecutors alleged that after dinner... They got into an argument because Joy finally told him that this wasn't going to work and she was going to take her boys and leave. That's when he stabbed her multiple times to the chest and torso. He pled self-defense because that is just so convenient. He claimed that he wanted Joy to leave, and that's when she snapped. Um, He said he felt like he couldn't call the police, so that's why he hid the body And he did that for the sake of his kids. And he decided to dismember the body for the sake of his kids. Yeah. After three hours, the verdict was read. He was indeed guilty. Um, They convicted him of first degree murder. And he received 25 to life in prison. Sheila moved forward with her life. And she actually moved From that San Diego uh, community And she felt free from Sean She finally felt like she could, you know, live her life While in prison, Sean renounced polygamy And, you know, he says and still claims that You know, he didn't have anything to do with the murder Like, it wasn't a murder It was self-defense Sean's brothers are raising Joy's two sons, and it is unclear if the children know the details of what happened to their mother. And I do believe that Sean's brother is still in contact with him. So that's the end of the Joy Risker story. We are at our takeaway for this particular case, and I always try when I do solo cases to kind of just stay on the case um, throughout the episode. And then when we come to takeaway, I'd like to give you all the little nuances that I wanted to talk to you about inside of the episode, right? So, my takeaway for this case is that people. Unfortunately, I believe that Sean was a narcissist, and I believe that he also was a pedophile, and he groomed Joy. He groomed Sheila, and he preyed upon them in an environment that most people find a lot of safety in, which is church. Church. And I believe that he made a conscious effort to get to know Joy and Sheila, to identify areas which he could prey upon. And for Joy specifically, because we know her story, we know her background, Joy was insecure about her relationship with her father. She craved a father. She craved a relationship with someone who would honor that position and not manipulate it. Not tainted with with um, sex or you know feelings and emotions. She wanted somebody who would honor that and give her what she really desired, which was a relationship with Christ. And instead, he used that desire to manipulate her. In multiple ways through her age and her just being naive, right? He manipulated her through her desire to get to know God and get to know Christ in a deeper and a more intimate way. He manipulated the fact that she really craved and desired a father figure in her life. And he used that all to groom her into this woman that he wanted her to be. So that he could finally say when she was 18 and graduated from high school, hey, I like you. I want to be with you. We're supposed to be together. I've always, you know, I just developed these feelings for her or for you, I should say. And unfortunately, it's important to understand that these pedophiles and people, they're in our community they're the scary monsters, but they're not underneath our beds. They are alive in the safe spaces and the safe crevices that we hold sacred and dear. They're inside the church. And I think as parents, we need to be aware that this is out here. I think that there is nothing as there's there is no such thing as being overly cautious. Right. It's OK to. um you know, somebody said, oh, you know, I really want to mentor your daughter. I really want to mentor your son for you to be all up in their business and be like, OK, what does that mentorship look like? No, they cannot come to your house. That's not appropriate. I don't care if we I don't care if you are a pastor at the church. Inappropriate. Call a spade a spade. And I think because that father figure and I don't even think I know he targeted Joy um, because she did not have that father figure. Because I guarantee you, had she had a good father who was in the home, he would have never ta- taken a special interest into joy. Because that dad would have been right there as the protector, guarding his daughter. If he was a good father now, emphasis on good father. He would have been making sure like, no way. No, that's not going to, no, that's inappropriate. Why does she have to come to your house to have Bible study? Mm-mm. No. No, because I think they, that pedophiles target single mothers. Like, it, that's, that's a known fact. So, you know, it. I just think it's important to be on your guard as a parent, to be on your guard. And I think there's some other semblances that we can talk about and t- have, like, another takeaway from. But I think that's the biggest takeaway here, is that protect your kids. Protect them be looking out for people who pray on children and you know diligent is the word of the day (laughs) overprotective is the second word of the day we have to really guard our kids and do the best that we can right like we can't do everything these kids ultimately belong to christ but you know we have to make sure that we are guarding them in the best ways we know how. And when you know to do better, you should do better, right? And I feel like in today's age and time and in society we're in now, I think we are in the information age. We know a lot more than what we knew back in the 90s. Amen. And we hope that, that we know a lot more in 10 years, too. But we know a lot more about the word and having the vocabulary grooming. And we know that definition. We know what that can look like. Okay. And unfortunately, Joy finally got the confidence that she needed. That maybe had her mom still been alive, her mom would have been able to help her easily transition out of that that polygamous lifestyle or hell that she was going through, but her mother was deceased, and all Joy had was joy. Literally, that was all she had, and Sheila was brainwashed, too, you know, for a second, for a brief second. I was like, was Sheila, does Sheila have something to do with this? But you have to keep in mind that Sheila also was young when she met Shine, too. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Shine just was just brainwashing chicks. That's what he was doing. So I really believe that she really felt, as crazy as it may seem, I really believe she felt that, you know what? He's telling me to clean up this blood. I need to clean up the blood. And I think Joy's okay because why wouldn't she be okay, you know? So that is my ultimate takeaway. I think I said my piece about, like, you know, the moral high ground that we apply to um men in power or leaders in power they don't even have to be men just leaders in power period and i think we should be very careful about doing that as well and having a very realistic perspective about these people who are in power period they are mere men and a lot of them are evil that's just the truth okay that's just the truth all right i hope you guys have enjoyed This particular episode and this takeaway, let's hurry up and get into our announcements and our updates. So, we are at announcements and updates. I wanted to quickly tell you guys how you can engage in polls that we asked you to participate in. Last week on our Armstrong Family, Faith, Football, and Faith, Family, and Football, we asked you to engage in a poll. And I realized I didn't really give a whole lot of directions or information on how to do that. So whenever we hold polls on Murder in the Black, we are uploading those polls through Spotify. Now, I know that a lot of you are committed to whatever platform you listen to us on, and I'm not asking you to stop and go over to Spotify and listen to us over there. But if you want to participate and engage in the polls, what you will have to do is go over to Spotify, click on the episode that has the poll, and scroll down to our show notes, and you will see the poll. You're able to vote in it as long as you are you know, logged in On Spotify like as a member so that is how you're able to participate in the polls but last week's episode was very interesting and we just want to thank you guys for all of your engagement but I wanted to reveal the results of that poll for the ones that did vote the question that I asked was do you believe AJ committed the murder of his parents 38% of you said yes 62% said no And I cannot say that I am shocked by those results because (laughs) I believe the evidence pretty pretty much suggests that he didn't do it or there's not enough evidence to say that he did do it, right? So that is the poll results. We will always come and revisit poll results whenever we have them. And if that's something that you guys like, Make sure that you tell us. Send us a voice note on our um, Spotify. On Spotify, that's where you can leave us voice notes, or you can send us a message on Murder in the Black, the podcast 36 at gmail.com. Okay. Our next announcement is something that I am pretty excited to update you guys on. Last season, I did a case entitled Andreen McDonald, Dreams Turn Into Nightmares. And in case you guys want to go and check that episode out, it is season two, episode 11. And last Friday, my mom sent me an article about this case. Because if you listen to that case, I told you that um, her husband was awaiting trial and he was actually out on bond and because all of the the murder of andreine happened in the height of covid her the case was pushed back in the courts because of that so they finally got to it and last friday a jury found her husband andre mcdonald 43 years old guilty of manslaughter but not guilty of murder And here's why they didn't find him guilty of murder. Andreen's case was a little complicated by the fact that only her bones were found after more than four months months of searching. So it prevented investigators um, from determining precisely how she died. And because of that, they had to convict him of the lesser charge. Now, McDonald must serve half of his sentence before he's eligible for parole. And manslaughter is a second degree felony punishable by two to 20 years in prison. So, you know, he was convicted. He hasn't been sentenced as of yet. Um, So I'm just happy that they were able to get him up off the streets because while he was out on bond, he was able to still have visitation with his daughter. Now, granted, it was supervised visitation, but I just feel like, sir, you clearly murdered your wife. Get off of these here streets and go to jail. okay? so the fact that he was finally uh, well tried in court and he was guilty of manslaughter I was happy about it is sad that they couldn't get him on the murder charge but I mean the law is the law so we have to we have to be okay with that you know you gotta go by the law right So our last announcement is that we are going to be doing some special stories on our Instagram and TikTok. And it's not just devoted to the month of February. It is something that will be ongoing. And we want to really engage with you guys throughout the week and on the platforms that we are on. So to be clear, we're on Facebook. We're also on Instagram and we are on TikTok. Now, I have entitled this segment or the segment that I'll be doing that I've already started story time with Steph and it is at minimum at maximum I say uh, two parts it's only a two-part story and they're three minutes long each sometimes they're under three minutes but it is designed to give you like a quick story so that you're able to engage with us during the week tell us what you think about the case that we presented or that I presented. Us on our social media platforms. Follow us, subscribe, and make sure you share episodes with your friends and family. We'll see you next week. This is Murder in the Black.